Black Cats Run podcast. I'm Tristan Black Ingersoll, and this is another edition of the Black Cats Run podcast. In today's episode, we're launching our first installment of our recurring series of episodes that we are calling Big Ring Bennett as we follow Jillian Bennett through the 2023 season as she races and trains her way through her calendar. In 2023, Jillian will be training for and racing in events such as the Boston Marathon, the Unbound 200-mile race in Emporia, Kansas, the Pro National Criterium and Road Race, the Tulsa Tough Criterium, the American Crit Cup, and a number of other major national events. This year, Jillian is racing again with ButcherBox Cycling. You can check them out on Instagram at ButcherBox Cycling. You can also follow Jillian Bennett at Big Ring Bennett on Instagram. And you can check out our podcast on Instagram as well at Black Cats Run. If you enjoyed this episode or other episodes, pass them along, share them to your story. Let other people who you know would be interested know this podcast is out there. Really enjoyed hearing from people as we've gone along making and posting these episodes. So please don't hesitate to reach out. Let us know what you enjoy. Let us know what you'd like to hear more of. In today's edition, we will be looking at the second half of Jillian's 2022 season when things start to turn a little bit sour. What do we do when failure starts to become something that feels like it's the norm and not the exception? How do we adapt? How do we respond? How do we make lemonade from life's sometimes prolific lemons? Let's get into today's episode. national road race everything's been going well and it's like wow this is consistent everything is coming together i'm on this incredible upward trend and now your mind is shifting to okay can i win one of these races not just finish in the top 10 but how can i find a way to win yeah so even planning for this year nationals like yeah that's the halfway point of the year and that's kind of where a lot of people will take stock reevaluate for the second half past this the next racing block is out west and so we went out to boise first corner of boise i went to to pedal and i guess for some reason between me being at the start line and me taking that corner, my chain had decided to drop. And you don't, it's not something that you usually feel. Sometimes you realize it happens, sometimes you're not. Like if you're not pedaling, you don't realize it. And so I went to pedal really hard out of the turn. Like I stood up a little bit to pedal and I just went over the handlebars. Friends watching at home were like, what the heck? And my team management after the fact had been like, we had no clue what happened to you. And it was kind of crazy. And so I got up and what happens in crits is if you crash or you have a mechanical problem, you can go to what's called the pit where they'll try to do everything they can to kind of like fix your bike and make sure things are sorted. And then you have a certain amount of laps to be able to get back into the race. And so they call it free laps, but I wouldn't categorize it as free because you go from racing really hard 
to stopping and then trying to get back on and race hard. It really like sucks if you have to go to the pit and try to get back into the race. A guy came over and I was like, oh, what the hell? And you're so confused when you crash. You like, What just happened? And the guy's like, oh, let's get you to the medical tent. And I was like, no, 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 I'm going back into the race. And I had to like convince this guy to let me go over to the pit. And so we like ran to the pit. They got my bike sorted. And for the first 20 minutes after that, I was like pretty shaken up because you go from this high adrenaline state from crashing and then you kind of start to calm down a little bit. And then I'm looking at my arms and they're leading and it's like really confusing, right? And so that race started to kick off a bit more with, we started to do what's called like revolving door and a revolving door attack. So like one of our teammates would attack and go off the front. And then once the group brought it back, then the other person attacks and you just like keep attacking. And whether it's to make other people work hard or for the purpose of if you're up front, then when you come around and there's creams, which are rewards or prizes, uh, you win preems. So like we just kept attacking and they'd be like, they'd ring a bell and say next lap $500. And the first person to get around gets 500 bucks. So if you're already off the front, you're going to get 500 bucks. So that was kind of like a really fun thing to do. And we didn't even talk about it. Like in the race radio, it just started to happen and we started to pick up on it and we just kept going for it. Towards the end of the race, there was a period where you were just off for some reason, like 50 or 60 yeah. meters off the front of the group lap after lap. Yeah. And the, one of the people they had commenting on the race happens to be three-time Olympic gold medalist in the women's time trial and cycling. And she had some smoke that she wanted to blow <laughs> Uh, about your form and you know was letting rip the truth bombs about how you should be riding and it's interesting when you're go from it's an interesting insight to when you watch a sporting event you really don't have any specific engagement to the competitors yes and then you don't know what's going on and to then when you have a different perspective and you start to realize how Sometimes the things that the commentators are saying, it's this intersection where what they're saying is well-intended and probably and considered, but then you, because you have this other perspective, don't make any sense. And so you've got the three-time Olympic time trial champion criticizing your form on your bicycle because her interpretation was that you were off the front because you were trying to go for it. But it was interesting because I thought it was pretty obvious from your body language that you were not trying to ride hard at all. You went from crashing out basically at the beginning to being back in the race. And now you're like within the seven lap to go range, just riding and you're looking back and it's like, you're saying, why the hell is everybody just sitting back there? Yeah. Like what's going on? I'm not going to do anything though. Cause there's no point. There was no point. It was a super flat course. So like if there had been a hill in it, I might've gone for it. Right. Like I might've tried to ride harder up the hill and tried to stay off but it was completely flat and there was also a really crazy headwind on the back stretch so I knew that I wasn't going to be able to outride the other teams that were there and so to the point that you're saying like the commentators like why isn't she arrow 
Part of it is because my arms were like super messed up from crashing. When your arms are literally bleeding, it's hard to bend your elbows. <laughs> it comes back together and you're in the last lap. And so I had this new sense of confidence, even though I had crashed. I had this, I kind of at that point had forgotten about the crash. <laughs> like I was in the race still thinking, okay, I can contest this to win. And so the last lap is always super fast. I just got onto one of my teammates wheels and she actually didn't realize I was there anymore because she had kind of tried to move one of our other teammates up. And so she pulled off, but it created this gap that was there. And so I had to close the gap to get back onto the main or the front group of people. And then in the finishing stretch, my teammate, Andrea, who was still competing and for some time had the the leader's jersey for the ACC or the American Crick Cup, you know, she's right in front of me. I basically spent the last 500 meters, you know, I started my sprint, but I'm just watching Andrea sprint to get third. And in the race footage, we were all laughing at it afterwards. I'm just kind of like kind of sprinting, kind of not, because there's no incentive for me to try to keep going because the only person I would have passed would be my own teammate who we want to get these points, right? So it's a really funny video because you watch me just kind of sit up. But after that race, we're all super stoked because Andrea and I go three, four after I've crashed. And we're just stoked because she's, you know, getting more points for this jersey. And the fact that I was able to finish fourth in this still very competitive race after crashing is also one of those moments that it like redefines, you know, what I'm able to do. All of the stuff is shifting your concept of what's possible. Yeah. So right? after, after then... Boise, we went to Salt Lake. Uh, altitude definitely negatively affected me. I didn't have enough time to acclimate, I guess, out there to the altitude, but it was fine. It was still positive. Like the second day of Salt Lake especially was fun and we mixed it up. We raced hard, got my teammate Hana onto the podium that day. I ended up leading her out, which was funny because I'm like the smallest rider on the team. And it was a downhill into an uphill, so it made a bit more sense. Then moving forward, went out to Chicago for Intelligentsia, which is 11 days of racing in a row. I went with the intention of doing all 11 days and then Made it to day three, I think. Ironically, I spent the whole race basically at the front. It was a race with a lot of turns and there was like a 180 degree turn that you basically just sprint out of every time. So I spent the race trying to just like keep the pace high for my teammates who were doing well. And then in the last lap, we all kind of bunched up onto an uphill and a rider in front of me decided, I don't know where she thought she was going, but decided to kind of almost cut across me. It was a very low speed crash, but the way that I fell, I don't really remember, not because I was concussed, but because it all happened so fast. But I just remember hitting my head on the ground and my sunglasses kind of like, it was more that my sunglasses got jammed up into my helmet. And then also the effect of, I had, I think three riders land on top of me so I remember people getting off and pulling their bikes off, whatever. And so I got up and I was obviously super upset, you know, and I'm like, why do people have to do this, whatever? And at the end of the day, it's like people make mistakes and 
things get really, especially in the last lap of a race, if the pace isn't kept high, people will do some stuff that they'll look back and they'll definitely regret doing. But it happens in other sports all the time. It's yeah. just they're not happening at twenty. I mean, you can be very, speed can be going. You can be going as slow as twenty, and you might sometimes be going thirty to thirty five. We were miles probably an hour. going like we were probably going fifteen miles an hour up like a little hill, and that still that crash still hurt. Like um, my bike still ended up having some. Like Which, if you're playing sports issues, on foot, right? I mean, fifteen miles an hour is booking it. Just because yeah, fifteen miles an hour seems slow on the bike. Coming off of an object like a bike or whatever, hitting the deck at 15 miles an hour. Yeah. That's still a lot of force. And it's the way that you fall too. So like sometimes you could crash going like 30 miles an hour, but you'll, uh, a good crash is like you're going 30 and then you just kind of like slide across the pavement. Force equals distance over time. Exactly. And so when you're just landing really hard on the ground, that can be tough. So I ended up a few hours later started to feel like, the symptoms of a concussion and of course you're initially like no 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 way I'm concussed like whatever and you try to convince yourself so luckily I had you know an in-house doctor on my team that we were staying with and that was good so I didn't have to go through like the whole I'm gonna go to the ER now type of deal I mean concussion I'm not an expert but mostly is rest and not hitting your head again so there aren't really proactive interventions you can do to like make your concussion go away you have to manage your symptoms and then not put yourself in an environment that's adverse to your body's you know level of yeah because i could even feel like you get your heart rate up and then you get like a headache so a few days later like where we were staying had a gym so a few days later i was feeling antsy so we agreed like it's okay like go to the gym and like do some light like lift some weights or something like just to do something but walking around at some of the races I could like start to feel like my head hurting and it was middle of the summer was hot so for the rest of the week I just went to the races and mostly just sat under a tree and that was fine but it was still just super unbearable and so went home still really experiencing concussion symptoms for several weeks I mean I think you and I we went and did a gravel race in Maine Down to cycling, put on a race in Pineland Farms, New Gloucester, which was really good. Yeah. And that was like a 55 mile, maybe, I think about 55 miles. If I'm like being honest, at that point I had convinced myself, oh, it's like, it was probably at least three weeks out from when I had been concussed. I remember finishing the race and being like, wow, my head really hurt like that whole race. And it was it was manageable, but it's one of those things where it's like, oh, man, this is still lingering. And that's really concerning. A week later or so, I was kind of without symptoms for the week. That was kind of the last moment I can remember having those concussion symptoms. So that's like a solid three weeks where I basically did absolutely nothing. And I mean, what was I supposed to do, especially maybe the two weeks out from the concussion, like doing just walking around made my head hurt. Unfortunately, that really set me back for the rest of the season. So so after the mainly gravel, going out concussed, concussed or still feeling unsure if you're feeling bad because you're still concussed or you're not feeling good because being concussed prevented you from doing the stuff that you've been working on, you know, to maintain your fitness and, you know, really important 
you know, to find a pattern to keep those adaptations in place, then go and this had been, you know, signed up for this in November of the pre of 2021, signed up to do the Gravel Worlds double, which is in Nebraska. And so then we go out to go and do this, which is now totally out of the box of doing the criterium stuff, transitioning to doing this race in um, Omaha, right? Yeah. No, Lincoln and Lincoln. Lincoln. Well, the... We flew into Omaha. Flew into Omaha. We went to a zoo and it was a super hot day and we're walking around and I could even kind of feel... Also wicked humid. Wicked humid. I could feel the the concussion symptoms a bit. And at that point, I hadn't felt them in a, in a few days or a week or so, if not more. So I kind of felt like I was in the clear. And so I don't feel that great today. And we'll just see how you feel tomorrow. Like worst case scenario is you just drop out of the, the running race. The first day of Gravel Worlds was the 50K run. Part of it, still trying to figure out ways to motivate myself to be able to keep up with running and training enough during the season. Part of it is learning to navigate this new race schedule that I have. And if we look back to the beginning of the discussion, I didn't really have a sense of what the year would look like. Well, your sense of what the year would look like was very different. When an opportunity start presenting themselves and that's what you're looking for. Yeah. And it happened five months into the year instead of something that you know, usually people are figuring out at the end of the calendar year, figuring out, okay, this is what next calendar year of racing and training is going to look like based on that. But you had to pivot your expectations to pursue the opportunity that mm-hmm. came, you know, when you weren't originally expecting it. Yeah. So it's like January right now, and I already know what I'm going to be doing this year or in theory, right? So I hadn't been running a ton. I had done a few runs leading up to the 50K. So we went out and we were doing the 50K. I did not feel, let's say at mile one, I felt just as bad as I did probably at mile 25. So at no point, like. Well, really, what you'd want to say is. I felt as bad as I felt in mile 25 as how I felt in the first mile. Yeah, like, so that usually... At no point in the race did it feel like good running. Yeah, so you. usually you do a running race. I felt and, great, <laughs> just so everybody knows. <laughs> so, like, usually you do a running race and you have this period of time at the beginning where you just, depending on the distance, the time can vary, but you just feel really good and you're like oh I can keep going and then you eventually get to this point where you're like okay this is getting harder and then there's that last little bit where you're like I want to die but I'm gonna finish this or like keep this pace going or you feel really good and whatever there's there's a lot you could go into there felt shit the whole time um especially in the last four miles we stopped at a water station and I think for both of us, the last four miles were, it was hot, there were no trees, and we were both like, oh my gosh, this is the longest four miles of our life. So I started at 6 a.m., and in Lincoln, it was dark at 6 a.m. New England, it's light out at that time of year. And it was comfortable, the weather was comfortable for a while. I, again, like I said, I felt perfect, basically. Although I had done a one, my training hadn't been brilliant, and I had gas walked basically the last eight miles of the only run that I had done (laughs) over 18 miles 
leading up to this. But then it starts, the heat starts to really crank up and probably at around, they had, they had water and they had aid stations, which was excellent. Probably around 22, 23 miles. There's kind of this, took a, took a turn longer downhill. Then you take a left and they're in the whole road. The whole course is dirt gravel roads. So it's, not efficient running and the gravel was super loose it's super loose could have been super dry and it hadn't been raining at all and so you're just using so much energy and even for me having felt great the wheels really started coming off big time at about 24 miles and in marathon right well i only got two miles but here you have to run to almost 32 miles and there's, it was, that's when it got really, it's one of those things you look back and you can't even remember how freaking awful it was. You you know it was really bad, but it's your brain is protecting you and not letting you re, so re-engage bad. with that. But it was, it was insane. And the legs are just not working. You're trying to get ice and put it in your hat, put it in your shirt, put it down the back of your shorts. And nothing is helping, you know, you can't like your muscles are failing and you can't cool down. Yeah, you're going to die. It feels like you're going to die. Yeah, it's a death march. (laughs) Yeah, then that's what we called it. But yeah, we we finished that. Totally couldn't walk. Could worse not than, walk. There's a way video. worse than finishing a marathon. <laughs> There's a video of me walking up. We went to like a breakfast brunch place afterwards because it was like only noon by the time we had done this shit. And there is a video of me walking out of the brunch place that made like when I showed my team like the next weekend or whatever, when we were in Indianapolis, had everyone like on the ground, just like pissing, laughing because I could not walk. And what was so funny is then we go back home we or to our accommodation. We probably went to bed super early. I don't even remember that day. Like I was so tired. The alarm goes off at 4 a.m. the next morning to do the Again. 150 mile bike ride. You know what? So we go running at 5.30 in the morning during a work week. I set my alarm for 4.30 because I know it takes me so much time to get out of bed just to put my running clothes on. I have never gotten out of bed so fast. The alarm went off at 4 a.m. for this 150 mile bike ride and for some uh, reason bike race. it's not just a <laughs> bike race people are out there going hand <laughs> for a bike race and for some reason i was like let's get out of bed let's do this you know like had zero thought like and still couldn't walk and so we got to the race i lined up kind of near the front with a group of women what was really cool is that they allowed uh kind of the elite women to the elite start women to start early which was cool in theory until we are going downhill in the dark on this loose gravel we all have lights on but it doesn't help that much and all of these guys start passing us and then people are just attacking up these like all there's all these little rollers there's no big climbs but it's no. just like a roll rollers. it's a continuous it roller sprint, coaster sprint sprint of every climb uh, Which is hard to do that. You can't really match that effort when, off of a 50K 
you can't walk. Run, especially that you weren't prepared to do. And yeah. we did no walking in the 50K. We ran the whole way, which maybe in some sense, maybe would have been, probably wouldn't have helped at that point anyway, by the time we wanted to walk. We just needed to be get done. done and go eat. And so it was one of those days where I just like couldn't, I couldn't get into a group like I just did not have like physically I felt fine like in terms of my conditioning my quads were just so destroyed that every time I tried to go up a hill faster I just physically couldn't do it so it ended up being still a really fun day I came across a woman named Veronica well, shout out to Veronica yeah we friend love Veronica of the podcast, listener <laughs> so I came across Veronica and we were just like okay let's just ride together because we both kept trying to ride groups and people just would like go really hard up the hill and then stop pedaling so we're like you know what let's just ride together we rode next to each other for a really long time and then we stopped for water a couple times and then we had just stopped for water and then and I was literally just telling her like oh my friend Tristan like he's somewhere behind there I don't know he started after me it just rides past us and I'm like oh hello and we jump on and then all of a sudden like all of these people just started riding in a group with us and then everyone's just like Tristan's just pulling everyone along which is super funny because he's setting like a consistent tempo well i was doing my thing the whole race where i was like i'm not doing this bullshit of accelerating i'm just doing i'm going to rhythm because i have all of these cognitive skills from you know being a runner before i got ever got into the cycling stuff and i'm like i'm not wasting energy chasing this stuff down so then and that was probably from 90 miles to 150 (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, right. I mean, yeah, I dropped my chain miles. before probably coming up to 130 miles. Yeah. And then everybody went by and then they went around a turn and then the group immediately exploded. Yeah, and um, then, then we picked up a bunch of them again. Yeah, we sort of combed them back up. But that was from the aid station, which was at 135 miles until probably the last three miles that was a nightmare it wasn't the paralysis feeling that you get with the running but that meant that was a definitely it was a physical struggle was there like it's not to say that it wasn't physically hard but that was definitely a you know get try to stay in a mind space try to create your mind palace Mm -hmm. as sherlock holmes just try to go to your mind palace and just try not to think about how this is one of the worst experiences of your entire life. We, like, I I think I said after the fact, so the last four miles of the running race was the same last four miles of the, the ride or the, <laughs> the cycling race, the gravel race. And so the last four miles was the same. And I think after the race, I said, the last four miles today on the bike felt longer than the last four miles of the run. Like those last four miles, another moment. Oh my God, I'm going to die. If you've ever done any of these gravel races, you can appreciate that sometimes like the food that you're eating or like how long you're out there for can like really mess with your stomach. And at that point, like after the race, you know, people are asking, oh, do you want like a banana? Do you want like water or these other drinks? And, and you're just like, I can't eat anything. I don't even know if Strangely I can really drink water. Strangely not hungry in a way. Yeah. I had 
mix in my hydration pack, but I bit alternated between eating maple syrup and then the uh, lemon raspberry scratch lab bars and just alternated back and forth between that the whole way. Later in the evening, my whole stomach just totally rebelled Yeah, in an epic <laughs> manner. Yeah, it was fun. Like we were all like, oh, we're going to go to the award ceremony because we had worked out that I had been the fastest woman to do the right. So then the despite all of the, the concussion and then the training. ideal management, lack of training, <laughs> right, you still went out and won the double. So that which was, you know, and despite not really too frankly, running anywhere near what you could do for that or doing but I think the yeah. thing is a part of it is when we signed up for that event it was kind of like well gonna do unbound and the nationals and then and then this, this would be like yeah. the other really big thing and then the opportunity to do all the American crit series races just came out of nowhere and it's like well I gotta take this opportunity and in hindsight you look back and it's like some of this stuff it's like what the hell like, why would I go and why did I think that that was a good, I, that was going to be good Why did I think running all? 50K after not running basically at all? Yeah. The big accomplishment for that weekend was just like, we talk about the mental, the mental piece and building, if you want to call it like mental toughness, the mental piece was, holy shit, I can convince myself to get up to do this 150 mile race after running 50K. Like that, that kind of helps redefine what you can do. And you and I have talked about this, how we look back at that race and we're just like, I can't believe we did that whole weekend. Like you said earlier, I can't believe, I don't remember how horrible that was, but I kind of do. And like your body won't let you remember how horrible that was. Basically anything I do now, I'm like, it's not going to be as hard as that last four miles of the 150 mile bike well, race you know too it's like both of those where there is like failure happening right yeah and like you enter into a state of like i'm no longer running off of executing on fitness i've surpassed my level and that happened you know and then obviously doing a 50k run and then doing a 150 mile gravel bike race and doing that in basically 36 hours that's a lot you know thank goodness Amanda decided to go to that yeah. because I didn't, I did not appreciate, I knew I wasn't ready to do it at the level that I wanted to do it, but I still didn't really conceptualize. If I had, I probably would have, you know, never gotten on the plane, but I didn't conceptualize thoroughly how unbelievably draining that was. And then you're in it and you're like, you do the run and then to get back up, you think about with marathons, people do marathons, you're like, oh, I got to, you know, take, can't do more than, you know, two marathons a year. You're like, well, we did this 50K race. Okay, let's just get up the next morning. And, and you know, and kudos to all the other people who did it too, because it's not like yeah. we're the only people who did it. But it's, you know, it's crazy, right? And so then, and the real value of that is that Frankie Andreo, you know, gave you a shout out on the commentary for winning that double which I think for the, you know, you talk about different athletic experiences being beyond people's ability to understand. I think for some of the people who kind of only do the crits and stay in that space, it's like, and I think this is a common phenomenon for people in general. It's like, and you get so used to thinking about that athletic problem that you just can't conceptualize yeah. some of this other stuff. 
And you can do both. Like you can you can do different disciplines of the sport and a lot of them like support or help enhance your ability to do the other. I know a lot of really good crit racers are also really good cross country mountain bikers because they have that like explosive speed or like a I guess explosive ability. I went to Indianapolis for IndyCrit and the night one, I was going pretty well actually. And I felt more like my normal self again. And then the final corner, uh, some people had said before the race, like, watch out. There's like a lot of sand that will get kicked up onto this corner. And a couple of people in front of me took the corner kind of hot kind of fast they slid out and I just happened to be on the outside line where I probably would have ran right into them in that moment I didn't really have much of a choice and I also then had to slide out like hit the brakes and slide so that was a real bummer to say the least I finished the race and I handed my bike to team management and I sat down on the curb and I was just super pissed, just really mad. And then I was saying to to one of my friends after the race, I don't want to do this anymore. Why do I keep crashing? What's wrong with me? Like, why can't I just do this? Blah, 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 blah. Like we've all been, we, we'd all like to say like, oh, I love racing my bike. I love riding my bike, like be super positive. But we've all been in that moment where it's like, I just want to sell all my shit and stop doing this. Why the hell am I doing this? And that was one of those moments. But then, of course, I woke up the next day. I didn't race because I had crashed. And I woke up the next day and I was like, man, I wish I was racing today. Maybe I'll get to a point eventually where I won't feel like that. But that's just kind of how it goes. Like you can have these really shit days. And then the next day you're like, I still really like to race and ride my bike. What sucks about this season is... It was kind of anticlimactic going into the end of the season, right? Like I did. Well, you get to the pro national race yeah. and you go through that period from May through June and it's like, okay, it's happening, right? Yeah. And then other things are also then start to happen. And yeah, Gravel Worlds pivot. was positive in a different way. Like You know, Gravel Worlds was good in the sense that you did it and it was like, holy crap. Yeah. And I and you won, right? And that was like since the Killington thing, that was the only race that you had won. Yeah. Outright. But then at the same time, it's the sense of like, well, I'm not doing what I know I'm capable of doing. Yeah. And, and so you're still looking for that alignment of I'm at my best my physical potential and then I'm actually able to apply that. Cuz you're also having this sense in these other races of I'm racing like this, but I'm not, I know I have more in the tank and I'm just not able to apply it for this reason or that reason or the other reason. And so then you get to the last couple races and you finally get on a podium. Yeah. But so, at the same time, yeah. there's a sense of like, this isn't as this isn't how it should feel physically. Yeah, I guess I would say so. I'd say the season was the end. The second half of the season was a bit disappointing in terms of the concussion and what followed that. So St. Louis, the conclusion or the last race of the ACC um, was a bit of a bummer. I just didn't have the fitness that I had at the beginning of the season to be able to execute. And the last race of that series was a downhill sprint 
which is not ideal for a smaller person like me. So I'm trying to like maybe get up the hill faster, but I just didn't have that ability. So I was feeling a bit down, but then uh, a few of my teammates, a couple of the guys and a couple of us ladies were like, you know what, let's go do uh, Winston-Salem. That'll be lower stakes than what we just had with the ACC. Winston-Salem is probably one of the most challenging courses, most attritional courses of the year. And it was a really small group for the women. But man, was that like one of the hardest races of the year? Because not only was I, you know, dealing with everything from the concussion, but also as a group, we made that race really hard and the course made it really hard, the hill in Winston-Salem. Going throughout the race, it was Paige, Drea, and myself. And Drea had gotten on the podium before at Winston-Salem. I knew that that course also suited her. So I initially, we had gone in that race saying, you know, like, Jillian, that'd be, this would be great if you can get on a podium, you know, for everything that has happened this year. And that would be really positive. And, you know, I was stoked about that idea. And we had kind of made a plan and we're like halfway through the race. And I turned to Paige and I'm just like, dude, do not count me in for the finale because I do not feel good at all, right? Like all of these things had led up to me having this kind of lack of fitness. And she she looked at me and she's like, I don't remember the exact words, but she's like, dude, you're fine. Like, keep going. Just keep like, just keep going. And kind of that sense of if you can make it through 20 minutes deal, that's kind of what she's she's like, it'll get easier. You'll be fine. And she always likes to say to me, like, you can do whatever you put your mind to. And she doesn't mean that in the sense of like, I'm just going to magically will myself to do this. Like, oh, I'm just going to say, oh, I really want to win the world championship. So I'm going to go win the world championship. She, she means I know that you can win this race. Just believe that you can stay in this race because you can, like there's evidence that you can. So the last lap, Drea, both Drea and Paige, made the tempo just super high, ripped it apart. And then I came into the final corner, uphill sprint, uh, right behind Sam Schneider, who's probably one of the best like American racers. She's won every major race there is to win in the U S. So from like a domestic standpoint, she's like one of the best U.S. racers this there's been in a while and she still continues to race. And so I was behind her, And I finished right in behind her and there's a photo of her winning, but I'm like smiling right behind. And I think that really spoke to, I'm like, wow, like I'm finishing in right with Sam, even though I've had a really shit go at it recently. It was cool to get on the podium and that was a really hard race. And what's funny is there were so many times during that race where I just considered pulling out of the race. Like I genuinely was like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to pull out now. And it wasn't because I had gotten like completely dropped or anything. I was just like, this really sucks. And I don't feel like I'm going to be able to do well. So I might as well just stop. And so having gone through all of the things, like we said, gravel worlds, like the last four miles, literally like I'm going to die. Like those things, I'm like, the other side of my brain is like, no, don't say that. Like you're going to finish the race and like you can still do well. Just stay in the race. Like stop saying this to yourself a good way to end the season on the it was a little like man this last little block has been tough so well you kind of end up in that space of you know 
I think by any, by a general standard, right, you then kind of get into that point of it's like, well, I'm doing things that and having results that a lot of people would need everything to really come into alignment for them. And I'm able to look back and be like, wow, like there's so much stuff that I just like didn't pull together that it's just, you know, not even subjective. You know, I just objectively I could have done or could have been doing. And as an athlete, it can sometimes feel weird to be in that space. You know, you're on the one hand, you're doing stuff and you should be polite and positive and you should signify that, you know, you appreciate you know, being able to achieve. And that's sort of become a cultural norm more and more is that when people have higher percentile level performance, it's considered impolite for people to not constantly acknowledge and say that they're feel humble or, or whatever. But I think another part of being an athlete is just like, I want to get better, you know, and like yeah, you I are know. where you are. And yeah. then when you see the opportunity to do things differently, that's what's motivating. And a lot of people walk away when they when they get to the point. And so you're in a position now where maybe we're thinking a little bit differently about what could be possible and then trying to figure out what needs to be done to get to that point. Yeah, I don't want to sound ungrateful or something for getting on the podium at Winston-Salem. Like even with it being a small group, it was still a group of really strong riders. And I know that many people would love to get on the podium of any race. And so it's not to sound ungrateful. It's or to sound like I'm above it all or whatever. It's it's to say that I left that race feeling like there were other races in the season or other opportunities that I, you know, could have performed well in or better in. And then I need to like now look and look towards next season. And I guess the benefit that I have this year is now knowing I have a schedule of races I can plan a bit better because part of the struggle with being, I guess, first year in this elite pro circuit or, you know, racing season is just adapting to things as simple as packing my bike every weekend or like managing travel and figuring out what the dynamics of the race are, what the dynamics of a team are. So all of those things, I feel like, Within a period of what, five, six months, I went from having like if I think of where I was at the beginning of that six month period to the end, the amount of experience and opportunity that I had just totally transformed how I think about racing and training and and those things. And maybe I'm more so recognizing that now as I look towards the future, but it's crazy what I didn't know at the beginning of those six months versus what I didn't know. You would think it had been years, but so much happened in so little time. And it may be the case that you needed it to not just continue to ascend and ascend and ascend. Because as we've said on the podcast in other episodes, we have to get to those points of proximal development, those feelings of cognitive wobble, where if you're not entering in a zone where everything isn't coming easy, we don't have that opportunity to learn. And it's not this whole humble narrative of, oh, well, I really learned something out there. But we're talking about like genuinely learning that if you don't have things that are adverse, then you can't grow. And when we look at performance, performances can happen in context, athletic and outside of athletic. 
And a part of that is getting towards this, what's my motivation or my inspiration? And when you experience a disconnect between what you could do and what you produced versus what you could have done and what that might imply, that opens the door for looking out on this, is there another set of possibilities? And does that engage me again? I think for everybody that's individual, we all have our own experience. And then we can say, well, how many of those two things, how many boxes did I check off leading up to that? And then number two, have I now realized that there are other boxes to check off that I just maybe wasn't even aware of yes. before doing that. And I only yeah. learned that through having that, those experiences of quote unquote failure, but constructive positive failure. Turns out that a big picture of lemonade tastes pretty good at the end of the summer. I hope you've enjoyed my conversation with Jillian Bennett, our first episode of our Big Ring Bennett series here on the Black Cats Run podcast. If you've enjoyed this or our other episodes on the podcast, take a moment, share with somebody else you know who might be interested, who you think might enjoy these kinds of conversations and questions that we're asking and exploring here on the podcast. Stay tuned for the rest of this 2023 season as we continue with our Big Ring Bennett series as we follow Jillian as she trains and races throughout this upcoming year. You can follow us on Instagram at Black Cats Run. You can follow Jillian at Big Ring Bennett. You can follow her team, ButcherBox, at ButcherBox Cycling. I'm Tristan Black Ingersoll. Thanks for making time to listen to today's episode, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.